All right, what's up everyone? Sam here, Wall Street Mastermind. And uh, today I have another client interview for you guys. Um, we're talking to Brandon today. And uh, Brandon's an interesting story. Brandon is um, actually lateraling from, uh, or actually uh, he work, was working as an auditor uh, at, uh, at KPMG, but um, we just helped him successfully lateral to uh, a boutique investment bank. And so, you know, I wanted to um, bring him on here to talk to you guys just because, you know, honestly, a lot, obviously, most, most of you are probably uh, trying to break into banking, you know, stay out of undergrad or maybe from business school because those are the two most common ways. And, you know, for a lot of people, uh, if they're not able to get in from undergrad and they can't afford to go to business school, then, you know, they feel like they have no other way into banking. But Brandon is living proof that it can be done. And so, uh, you know, for those of you who might one day be in his situation, definitely want to get him on here to talk about how he was able to do that. So Brandon, thanks for being here with us. Nah, thank you for having me, Sam. Yeah, man. Uh, excited to chat. Um, congratulations, on the congratulations on the offer, first of all. Uh, has thank, it, you, thank you. Has it sunk in yet how amazing your accomplishment is? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's starting to sink in here and, uh, you know, definitely wouldn't have been possible without, you know, all the, all the tips and all the ongoing support uh, from you. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, going from an auditor to uh, an investment banker uh, without any uh, steps in between like transaction services and basically, you know, doubling my compensation. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, man, that's, uh, I'm, that's, that is amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy for you. I mean, you know, like I said, statistically, I always tell people like a lot of times I tell people like, Hey, you know, you should try to get in as an undergrad. You know, if you don't, you probably got to, you know, work for a couple of years, at least two years, uh, apply and get into a top 20 MBA program, which in and of itself is a difficult thing to do. And then if you do that, you got to pay, you know, 200 grand probably for two years at least. Uh, and then uh, also not be able to work during that time and just for another, just to have another crack at this. Right. And by even then it's not a guarantee you're going to get the job. So, you know, for someone like you breaking in after undergrad without having to go back to business school, um, that's definitely an exceptional accomplishment. So you should be very proud of yourself. Appreciate um, it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, man. And by the way, um, you know, before we dive in, like, let's just tell everyone like, um, where, where did you get offers from by the way? So, uh, you know, basically I got uh, two offers, uh, two boutique investment banks in, the, in Florida, uh, one called uh, Antarctica Advisors and another called uh, Hague Partners. Uh, Antarctica focuses on specifically on seafood M&A and uh, Hague Partners focuses on buy and sell side uh, car dealership M&A. Yep, yep. Got it. Okay, very cool. And which one are you going to be going to? I accepted the offer at Hague Partners uh, to work as an investment banking analyst uh, focused on car dealerships. Awesome, man. And that's like a perfect fit for you because, because of your background and your interests, right? Absolutely. Uh, I never had an investment banking internship in college, uh, but 
you know, the closest uh, internship to, you know, my interests was, uh, you know, at a, at a car dealership, at a luxury car dealership in Miami. And I worked in the finance and the accounting department. So it worked out as a, you know, a perfect fit to, to break into one of the few uh, car dealership focused investment banks yeah. in the country. Yeah. And you're super, you're one of those guys is super into cars as well, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah. I love cars. Uh, what your aspirational dream is one day. Yeah, sure. I want, my dream is to, you know, own a, a group of, of dealerships, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully have a, a whole array of, uh, different manufacturers that, that I'll own. And it'll be, uh, it'll be a great, uh, lasting accomplishment. Yeah, man. I, I never knew how lucrative owning car dealerships were until you told me, but, uh, <laughs> now, yep. That's sure. One of the easiest ways to, to make eight figures a year. And, uh, I noticed the, you know, working at a, a luxury car dealership where the owners do make more than eight figures a year. Uh, you don't have to work that all that hard. Uh, once, <laughs> once you're the owner, you get a senior vice president and a CFO and a, uh, general manager of operations to run the business for you and you work yourself a nice 40 45 hours a week and you make more money than you know what to do with yeah i think the hard work comes you know before that in terms of getting to that position but uh absolutely i'm sure once you get there uh you know then it's it's all gravy but uh yep pretty much <laughs> awesome man well look uh why don't, you, can, why don't we do this? Can you take us back to the beginning? Let's go all the way back to, let's start from like freshman year of college, right? Because I always like to kind of like talk to people about the journey that, you know, you went on because, you know, a lot of people out there who are listening, they might be going through a similar journey or, you know, maybe over, trying to overcome similar obstacles right now. And so, you know, you could very much be an inspiration to some of these people. So you started out, you know, at the University of Arizona originally. Right. Yes, I did. So, um, you know, I actually switched high schools uh, after my junior year of high school from a private high school to a public high school. And uh, the GPA rating system was different. It went from a 4.0 system to a 5.0 system. So I had a 3.5 out of four at the private school to then having a 3.5 out of five at the public school. They didn't do any conversion. So that really ruined my chances of getting into some of the, the schools that I really wanted to, to go to, which, you know, my number one choice was the, the University of Miami, where uh, I transferred to after my freshman year at Arizona. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then I got to the University of Miami and I started studying economics. And, you know, it was interesting and whatever, but, you know, I kind of wasn't my favorite subject. So... Then I switched majors to management and quickly learned that, you know, management is, you know, helpful, but, you know, there's no, no numbers involved. It's not super analytical. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how I am. I'm just a very analytical person. So then I added finance as a, my second major uh, in my junior year of college. I didn't really have any relevant uh, experience in finance uh, until I worked in the finance and accounting department at the at the collection, which is a, a luxury car dealership uh, in Miami. It's one of the top dealerships in the country. And uh, yeah, so that was my first uh, experience in finance. And, you know, my mentor there, who was the CFO at the time, he 
he really, you know, pushed me to uh, go back for a master's degree. So right after I finished my bachelor's in finance and management, I, I went for a master of accounting with a concentration in corporate finance. And during that program, that's when I was, uh, had access to all the different uh, big four recruiters and you know all the top 20 accounting firm recruiters and you know i ended up landing a job my first month uh, in the master's program at kpmg in the audit practice uh once again with with no internship experience prior so i didn't know exactly what i was getting myself into but i knew that you know having a, a big four name on my resume uh would only do me good considering my my the, mo the, the biggest name on my resume was uh, a car dealership uh, in their finance and accounting department. So uh, I knew that I needed a good name on my resume if I wanted a chance to break into banking. And I knew that that was really the ultimate goal. Uh, so I was just, uh, you know, working towards that. And once I started working, I knew right away that it wasn't for me. And that's pretty much when I reached out to you. Yeah. 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 So let's, uh, I want to dive into that a little more. So you first, uh, I, I know you you got into you got interested in banking kind of late, right? But right. Uh, you first became interested in banking while you were still in your undergrad, right? Yes, and I tried to uh, I tried to break in on my own. I had I had no success. Uh, my Was that junior were... year or senior year, or did you did you recruit for the summer internship or just for full time? So I recruited for a summer internship and full-time, but I didn't start uh, applying for summer internships until I want to say at least midway through my junior year for the senior year summer. Mm. And that was with, you know, basically no internship, internship experience at all, other than at uh, my family's insurance agency. Yeah. So that's a very small business, 10 uh, 10 people. So nobody knows what that was. Um, this was before the car dealership was on my resume. So I didn't get any of the finance internships. I tried investment banking. I tried uh, at some banks. I tried sales and trading at other banks. Uh, you know, my, my undergrad GPA wasn't outstanding. It was like a 3.25. Mm -hmm. uh, so and, it was really, and it actually, really difficult. You had, to, you had to work hard to raise it to that level, right? Like you started off on the wrong foot, I think. Yeah. So my freshman, my first year at the University of Miami, I had a really bad knee injury and got sick at the end of the semester. And I finished with a 1.6. Uh, so I, had, I ended up getting, you know, uh, Dean's list and provost list for like three or four years consecutively after that, just to pull that number up to the 3.25. Yeah. Uh, so it was a real struggle, especially for banks that, you know, requ required transcripts. Uh, you know, it was hard to really explain uh, what happened uh, that first semester. They didn't, nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody cared. Dude, let, uh, me just, let me just pause you there for a second. I mean, we just need to pause and appreciate uh, how far you've come, you know, starting out with a yeah. 1.6 GPA to... Uh, now you're, you know, about to uh, be become an investment banker. I mean, like, that's one of those stories that, you know, people read online. Like I said, is freaking inspirational, right? I mean, there's, I talk to students who struggle with their GPA all the time. And, um, but the thing is they don't, 
you know, a lot of them, they struggle and then they don't do anything about it to, to overcome that, right. Or to get better or bring their GPA up to a respectable level. And, um, but you did that. So that, that's, uh, that's freaking amazing. Thank um, you. Thank you. And then, so, okay. So GPA obviously hurts you, um, going to Miami university of Miami is not really a target school, right? Right. Also um, downfall. Were there, were, were there any banks that recruited there? Uh, yeah, there were a couple, uh, you know, uh, Raymond James, uh, TD Securities. Um, those were two of the ones that were actually on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, City would come to do informational sessions, uh, but they didn't like recruit at the career fair. Mm -hmm. And we also had, you know, some of the bigger banks, uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, they would come and do uh, these informational sessions. Mm -hmm. um, but really the only way that you were going to get it into one of those types of banks that coming out of the university of Miami is if you had a 3.75 or higher. Yeah. And, uh, and some of those know, banks, they're not, they're not recruiting for front office investment banking either. Right. Like I think I remember you said that TD, for example, they go there to recruit for credit, but not for investment banking. Yes. So TD only recruited for credit. Raymond James did recruit for credit wealth management, investment banking, equity research, uh, Goldman and uh, JP Morgan and City, they all did their informational sessions uh, on campus, but it wasn't a recruiting for anything. It was just really informational sessions. Mm -hmm. But if you were good enough, like 3.75 or above, and you started early enough, you know, freshman or sophomore year, and you networked hard, uh, you know, also like RBC, Capital Markets, you, you could get into any group that you wanted out of University of Miami, but you had to start really early and you had to have at least the 3.7, 3.75 to, to even have a chance. And that wasn't even a guarantee. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think starting early, that's like pretty much the way recruiting has been trending. That's like a prerequisite no matter where you go to school now, I feel like. But uh, yep. But, uh, okay. So then you sent out a bunch of applications. You're like, how do you remember roughly how many applications you sent out? Oh yeah. On my own, I sent out at least a hundred. <laughs> uh, but my problem was I'd never networked with anybody. Uh -huh. And from so those how, many, how many positive responses did you get? Uh, zero. Wow. I didn't, I, I only got a couple, I only got a couple rejection emails. The rest, they never even responded. It's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that as if you're just, Throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen, basically. Oh, pretty much. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Yep. Okay, so that failed, and then you decided, okay, I'm going to go do a master's, right? Yep. Um, but then I think you sent out what, another dozen applications after doing a summer intensive for your master's. Is that right? I I did. Yeah. So then I sent out another dozen to a lot of middle market banks, Cohen, Jeffries, Piper, Jeffrey. And what, what was the rationale there? Was it that like, hey, maybe now that I have this master's of accounting thing on my on my resume, maybe I'll have a better chance or? Pretty much. Yeah. It was just like, hey, uh, you know, I just finished this summer intensive. My my GPA is was a 3.75 coming out of the summer intensive. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you know, why not? Why not give this like one more shot? I, I even tried D.E. Shaw. Uh, I tried a couple bulge brackets. And uh, once again, uh, you know, the best I got was uh, a sorry, uh, 
although your skill set and GPA is, uh, you know, you know, very high, uh, and your skill set seems like it would be a good fit somewhere. It just doesn't seem like it would be a good fit for investment banking. Yeah. Okay. And so I was, and I was just like, okay, well, uh, you know, let me, let me just do what I can. And, uh, you know, I went to the university of Miami accounting career fair and, uh, you know, that's kind of where I got my, got my job at, uh, at KPMG along with, uh, you know, I went to some beta alpha psi events, which is a finance and accounting, mm -hmm. uh, honor society. So I went there and I networked with some people at the big four and, you know, between that networking and, you know, attending the career fair, that's how I landed the job. Yeah. So would you say like the, the reason you weren't able to succeed with all these applications back then is one, obviously your resume wasn't good enough. Um, partially because you didn't have enough relevant experience, but partially probably also just how you formatted your resume, um, even though I'm sure you put a lot of work into it. And then secondly, just the lack of knowledge around how to network effectively, basically. Yeah, all of the above. Uh, I mean, my resume was, uh, you know, night and day from before we started working till, till after we, you know, perfected it a hundred times. Uh, you know, looking back on it, it, you know, I never would have, never would have got the job if we if we didn't make the resume look the way that it did um you know i thought it looked good uh, but it it turns out that it looked like more like a joke than anything <laughs> and, and uh yeah i mean just the lack of experience and you know lack of uh ability to to talk you know in detail um about some of the concepts that investment bankers want to talk about you know on the phone and, uh, you know, just having no idea of the kind of questions that they were going to ask and how they were going to double click on everything to make sure that you really did the things that you were saying that you were doing on your resume. Uh, you know, those were all things that, you know, I just wouldn't have known had we started working together. Yeah. And you bring up a really interesting point, which is like, Hey, you thought your resume was pretty good. Um, I mean, obviously we, we see that with, clients or potential clients all the time right? not just with their resume but with their interview answers or their networking skills or just anything that they're doing in general the human tendency or bias is to naturally think that what they've done already is pretty good right because obviously you're already putting your best foot forward it's not like for a lack of effort you already gave it your best shot and that was what you came up with so of course you know most of the time you don't know what you don't know and and there's going to be a blind spot when it comes to evaluating you know the quality of your own work right and that's for where, sure and that's where like having you know an extra set of eyes especially from someone who's you know more of an expert in this area can can really help because they can help you spot a lot of things that you couldn't think of on your own absolutely yeah no 100 percent. i i didn't know any investment bankers my family uh you know were from Pennsylvania, uh, but not not Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, and you know where we're from. It's it's Allentown, Pennsylvania, and you know there are no investment banking offices there. So my family didn't know a single investment banker. They didn't they didn't even understand what I was trying to become. Uh, you know they they just knew about you know like wealth management and financial advisors and everybody. They knew about Wall Street, but they really didn't know you know what the different avenues on wall street were so you know we just we didn't have anybody uh 
who could even look at my resume to to tell me that it wasn't good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's fair, man. I think a lot of people struggle with that. You're definitely not alone there. Um, so, okay. And then you decided to do a master's in accounting because um, your mentor told you told you to get a master's. Why did you Why did you go with a master's in accounting as opposed to like say a master's in finance, for example? Right. So I I didn't want to move again. Um, so I wanted to stay in Miami, and the master's in finance is okay. Uh, but it's not great. Uh, I heard about one person out of a group of like 60 or 70 at the University of Miami Master of Finance who broke into uh, SunTrust. Mm -hmm. uh, and he got in as an investment banking analyst by networking. Uh, and, you know, he, I had spoken, actually spoke with him on the phone in my networking efforts uh, to break into banking. And he said that that was not the only place he applied. He said he would networked with hundreds of people and that was just the, the one offer that he got. So from speaking with some other people that were in the, the Masters of Finance, I knew that I really didn't have a shot of getting in, uh, or if, if any, a very small percentage. Uh, but what I did know is that if I did the Master of Accounting, that you know it's one of the top Master of Accounting programs in the country. Uh, and we, uh, at the university of Miami have, uh, an accounting career fair, uh, mm -hmm. specifically for, for accounting majors. Mm -hmm. So all the top 25, uh, uh, accounting, uh, companies or accounting firms were, were at this career fair. And, you know, I had the chance to network with all of them and I knew that the big four hired, you know, uh, a handful into audit and a handful into tax and uh you know one or two into advisory but not the not deal advisory more risk risk advisory and it advisory so you know i kind of looked at those options and i figured that audit was my my best uh my best chance to eventually break into banking so i decided to decided to pursue the the audit track uh, mm -hmm. at a big four firm mm -hmm. got it yeah and the one guy at the masters in finance program in miami that got an offer from SunTrust. i think you, i remember when you first told me about it like his offer then fell through in the end so he didn't even get it right uh yeah i don't think i think that it did fall through and then uh he wound up going to work for another bank uh mm -hmm. but one with not as good a reputation uh, I, I forget the name right now but yeah it, it wasn't the odds were just stacked against me going into the masters of finance uh yeah. so i i knew that you know i could at least secure a full-time job uh at a reputable company uh yeah. doing the master of accounting yeah and I mean, this is a good, this is a good um, takeaway for the audience too, which like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not telling people like, Hey, uh, getting a master's of accounting is like a, you know, typical route to take to get into banking or anything like that. In fact, I, I would say for a lot of people, it probably isn't the right way to go. I mean, obviously it worked out for you, but uh, I do hear a lot of people ask about, Hey, should I go get a master's in finance? And I think, you know, one thing you brought up, that's a really good point is like, you know, you can do a master's in finance and banks do recruit from some master's in finance programs, but you really got to do your due diligence before you decide to go to a school because um, now like most master's in finance programs do not place well into banking, right? If you're going to, if you're going to go do it, if you're going to spend, you know, 
seventy-five to a hundred thousand dollars to go to like a master's in finance for a year, uh, you you gotta look up their graduation career statistics and things like that. They release reports like that where they talk about, you know, <coughs> how many students they send into banking each year and which banks actually recruit from that school and things like that, right? And if it's not if it's not like a good program or they don't they don't have a track record of placing people into uh, investment banks, then you're just wasting your time and money. Oh, for sure. I, one of my best friends, he uh, he actually went to Villanova for their master in finance after working in equity research for a couple of years. Uh, he graduated with a 4.0, number one in his class, CFA charter holder, and he had interviews with BMO, SunTrust, a uh, couple other leading middle market firms, and he told me he got smeared across the floor. and. Mm -hmm got laughed out of the room out of all of them even though he was a cfa charter holder and had a 4.0 um and the best offer that he got which was the only investment banking offer was at Janie montgomery scott and uh you know it was making with the bonus just under a hundred thousand mm. and uh you know i'm i'm gonna be working at a boutique where i'm actually gonna make just over six figures Mm. Uh, my first year with the opportunity to make even more uh, if I perform well. So, and that, uh, that Villanova program, that's a top 10 program. He did his due diligence and even still, uh, you know, it just, he just didn't network uh, really and just sent out applications and uh, you know, he networked a little bit and that's how he got those few interviews, but he just didn't, network enough to give himself enough opportunities to be able to, to understand, you know, how to be successful in the interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Man, he should have saved all that money and just uh, came and worked with me instead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I knew about <laughs> you before, uh, before he started that program a little over <laughs> a year ago, <laughs> I would have told him to, to skip the program altogether. It would have saved a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then you graduated from the accounting program or the master's in accounting. You started working at KPMG in the September of 2018. Um, then you quickly realized that audit is not for you, um, especially right. compared to finance, which is kind of like the, you know, the first thing that you were really truly interested in. But so you kind of felt like you were, you were settling a little bit for something that that's not really what you want to do for the rest of your career, basically. Oh yes, for sure. So like, absolutely. So like, can you take us back to like, you know, like your first year at KPMG, you know, like mentally and emotionally, like where were you back then? Like, how were you feeling on a daily basis? Oh man, it was bad. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Miami. Um, my, I'm, my home office was KPMG Miami office. Uh, you know, they told me I would never have to drive past Fort Lauderdale, which is, you know, an hour drive just about in the morning and you know my first client they put me on was in west palm beach which was taking over two hours in the morning to get to and then an hour and a half at night and you know i got a i got a flat tire on the side of the highway 350 dollars for a tow truck i mean i was i was just mentally i was mentally drained i mean you know physically and mentally drained you know i was working i was working the banking hours uh, you know, making, you know, very little money doing boring, monotonous work and having to drive very, very far. Um, 
you know, they would call up last second saying that there was an inventory count on Friday at 11 p.m. or Sunday at, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And they would give me a day or two notice and just expect <laughs> that I had no plans. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really bad, bad experience in terms of, you know, what I expected it to be versus what it actually was. Um, you know, I certainly learned a lot while I was there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, look, some of the stuff that I learned while I was there helped me to, uh, you know, get the, the banking job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, that was pure coincidence almost. Uh, the reason why I, ha- I stopped having to drive two hours is because after two weeks, uh, a girl quit. And then they put me on a large public engagement in Miami and that large public engagement, uh, they, they did a valuation in 2018 and, you know, I raised my hand to, to work on pretty much anything related to that valuation. So I could get some valuation, uh, experience, uh, on my resume for stuff that I did while at KPMG and then, you know, added that stuff to my resume and tweaked it uh, with your help. And, uh, you know, from there just practiced speaking about it and, you know, doing the mock interviews with you to, to really solidify, uh, you know, what I did and how I did it. So that by the time I got to the banking interview and they said, you know, walk me through it step by step, uh, I was, I was ready to do that and did it successfully. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, look, like the hours and the lifestyle that you're describing, a lot of times that's a knock against banking. And, you know, even even when you're making six figures in banking, it's still not enjoyable, right? Let's not let's not kid ourselves. Right. But I think you said you're you're gonna double your salary, I think is what I heard. So which sounds about right to me, because most auditors right out of school are probably making like fifty, sixty K at most, right? Uh, uh yes, pretty much. Yeah, so to make to be making fifty, sixty k, uh, and working banking hours and, and and doing stuff that you have absolutely no interest in, I mean, I just I can't really imagine. I can't really imagine being you know much more miserable than than having to do that. Oh yeah, it was demoralizing. Uh, just thinking, you know, how many years of school I went through to to do a job that I hate working till 12, one, two o'clock in the morning for months on end, uh, Saturdays, Sundays. I mean, it was, it was yeah. just mentally, mentally draining. And, you know, I just, uh, it was really starting to, you know, affect me and, you know, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was just super stressed out all the time. Uh, you know, my mood was not good and I'm a very, you know, positive, upbeat person, but, uh, you know, when you get put in a position like that, uh, it can really, it can really bring you down. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, like you and I, you know, we've both been working. I mean, I've been working for much longer than you have, but you've, you've at least been in the real world at this point. And I think a lot of times when I talk to college students, one thing that they don't realize um, when they're thinking about their career is just because they've never worked before. Um, right. They don't realize how much, your career affects your happiness, right? Like whether if your career is fulfilling versus not, like that's like the thing that you spend the most time on every single day, right? And if you're doing something that you're not excited about or you're not doing something you love, 
um, or you're not feeling fulfilled, whether that's from like a compensation perspective or a status perspective or whatever it may be that's important to you. Um, it just sucks the life out of you. Right. And it does. it's, it's a, it's a miserable way to live. And so it's like, so now that I feel like people don't understand just how important it is to really get this stuff right, because it then trickles down into like all other aspects or all the other areas in your life, right? Like it affects your relationship with your girlfriend or wife or whatever your partner, right? It affects your relationship with your friends, your family. It's just like, it's all consuming, really. It really is because, I mean, you spend 70, 80, 90 hours working and then you can't complain while you're at work. You have to put on your smiley face and pretend like everything's okay and be positive and upbeat. And when it's a job that you hate, then you get home and the first thing you do is complain. So it winds up being 24 hours a day that, you know, you're upset uh, and you're, you know, you might be complaining to your significant other and your friends and, you know, they don't want to hear it. Um, but you can't complain at work. Uh, and so it winds up just being like a never ending vicious cycle where you're just so unhappy and you just don't know what to do about it. Right. Right. Yeah, man. So yeah, that, that's like, yeah, I hope people understand that. Like for those of you who are listening, it's like, there's no joke, you know, like I can think of few, few things that are more important than in your career. I mean, I was, I was talking like finding the love of your life. That's top of the list. And then, uh, you know, having good health is right up there as well. And then I would say, you know, then pretty much your career, you know, so you, you got those, th- you have those three things in a good spot. Um, you're going to have a pretty great life, you know? So, um, okay, cool. And then, uh, let's, let's see, let's keep going. So then originally I think your plan was to do like two years of audit then two years of advisory at KPMG which is a bit closer to banking in terms of the nature of the work. And you've also seen people switch over from banking or to banking from the advisory side of the big four. Right. And then after that, you would maybe go get your MBA for two years and then switch into banking or something like that. Right. Pretty um, much. But then you decided against doing that. Right. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Was that just a matter of like wanting to do it sooner? Like, so, well, you know, I kind of, I basically just networked with a couple folks in the uh, KPMG deal advisory practice, which is KPMG's M&A practice in Miami. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of was just speaking with them and, you know, they told me that, uh, you know, it would take at least two years to get into the deal advisory and then at least one year of experience there uh, to then move over to banking. But they said that, you know, if I worked really hard, and learned all the technicals and networked right now, they said I could just skip that all together and just break into banking, you know, before, uh, you know, finishing 12 months on the job. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I heard that, that it was a possibility, I started looking up people on LinkedIn and I found a, a handful of people that, you know, went from a big four, audit position to an investment banking analyst role and just those few people three or four people i mean that gave me hope that there was a possibility but i i knew that i needed some assistance uh to get there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. got it okay so you started at kpng in was september i believe yep and then i think you you came to me in like late october uh 2018 so how, how did you find me by the way 
Uh, you know, probably by the grace of God, uh, <laughs> scrolling through Facebook, I just saw this Wall Street mastermind group and, and joined and then started, you know, poking around the page, looking a little bit, looking at the templates and some of the stuff that's free on there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then some of the success stories. And then, you know, I had, uh, I think it was like the, the day actually uh, that I got the flat tire on the way home from work. I think I called the, I think I scheduled the strategy session to call you that night. Mm. Yeah. You're like, F this, I'm done with this. I need to do something about this. And yeah, immediately. I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm just going to wait a couple more months, uh, you know, yeah. and then I, that happened and I was just like, I'm done. I was that, like, was, I guess that was God telling you, giving you a little push to, to do something about it, huh? He, he really did. And uh -huh. that's, that's exactly how I got, got the courage to, to call you and get some help. That's hilarious, man. Well, I'm, I guess I'm glad you got that flat tire then. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> look, uh, and just shameless plug right now, but for the rest of you, you know, I always encourage you guys to book that call with me. And, uh, you know, if you're hesitating, you know, th this just goes to show you, you got to book that call. We can maybe change your life. But uh, <laughs> um, coming back to this, though, so um, I think at the time when we first started talking and I was trying to understand, like, Okay, uh, trying to figure out if I actually can help you or not because I talk to a lot of people and I can't help everyone, right? Um, right. Someone like you who you know is not a, a typical candidate where you're coming out of college or a business school. Um, I know it's even harder, right? And so at the time, I think I asked you like, hey, like what resources have you already used up to that point to prepare? And I think you had you know taken two financial modeling courses in college, um, but that was about it. And you were definitely pretty rusty at the time, I think. And then yep. I think, um, you also said that you had heard the Wall Street Oasis modeling course could be pretty beneficial. Um, so like, obviously there's a lot of resources out there, right? They could have gone with like, what made you decide to work with me as opposed to just doing something like that? Like maybe taking financial modeling course or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, you know, after talking with uh, the people in the deal advisory group, they said that you know, my technicals needed to be extremely sound. And I also needed to network really, really hard if I wanted to break into banking within my first year. And, uh, you know, I probably could have learned the technicals from one of these online courses, but I wasn't going to get that attention uh, on my, my cover letter, my LinkedIn profile, how to network effectively, you know, how to automate some of my networking efforts, um, because this is a numbers game. I, you know, with your help uh, and using some of the software tools, you know, I reached out to like almost 2,500 people on LinkedIn, you know, seven or 800 of those people accepted me. I set up maybe 75 or 80 calls, uh, got a handful of interviews, and then ended up with two offers. So, I mean, you're talking, you know, two offers out of over 2,000. Uh, LinkedIn requests. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what that's kind of what you got to do coming from this type of position. I freaking love it, man. I, I hope you guys heard that, which is, and by the way, you know, I think Brandon went to the extreme end to, to make this happen. And obviously, because, you know, he had more to overcome, you know, for someone that's 
maybe still in school and college or coming out of an MBA program, a top MBA program, probably don't have to go that crazy with the networking, but still, you know, it's still a numbers game, right? Like you said, you message whatever, reach out to 2,500 people. Like even my clients were still in school, you know, you got to reach out to hundreds of people, right? Because at the end of the day, like that, that's how competitive it is, right? And if you're, if you don't know how to do that in an efficient manner, like that's all you're going to be doing. Right. And yep. You don't have time for anything else. Right. Uh, and, 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 and I think the other point that you brought up, which, which, uh, is really, really, uh, really true is that a lot of the resources that people have out there right now, they just focus on like one, one aspect of recruiting. Right. And most, most of the time, usually it's like, Oh, on the technical interview. Right. Which is like important. But uh, it doesn't really – technical interview won't really matter if you can't get the interview. Right. Right? And so the way that, you know, we try to help clients get results is um, to make sure it's a more holistic approach of helping you do everything you need to do to get the interview in the first place and then also doing everything we can to, to help you with the interview. Right? Um, so, so, okay. So that was the biggest difference, which is just like, uh, for you, you wanted something that was more holistic, it sounds like. Exactly. And, okay. you know, just, I just wanted something where I would have access to talk with somebody who has, who has done all the things that I want to do before. And, yeah. you know, having that, that you know, direct connection uh, to be able to message you, at, you know, at any time of the day and get a fast response and to be able to set up mock interviews and, and phone calls uh, and whatever, whatever you need to, to be successful. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I needed. I needed that personalized one-on-one -on -one attention from somebody who's done this before. I'm, I just didn't want to take the word of some random website that they could get me results. I wanted somebody who has literally worked on the job before and done all, all the things that I want to do. Yeah. And then like immediately after you enrolled in my program, again, that was like late October, I think, um, you started getting completely slammed at work, right? Is that right? Yep, yeah, that's I, right. I remember uh, us planning out, you know, when we thought was going to be busy season for you and when you were going to be able to do a lot of the work for recruiting. But then in the end, honestly, at least to me, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but to me it felt like you were just perpetually in busy season the entire time. <laughs> Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, and when I, I, I'm just, I was telling you what I was told during the recruiting process, which was yeah. January, February, and a couple of weeks of March were going to suck. It was going to be working six, seven days a week till 12, 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah. But, you know, come November, like, I was already working till 10, 10 30, you know, December, you know, same thing. It was, it was already getting a little worse, uh, maybe 11, 11 30. And, uh, you know, then January, February, March hit and it was just a shit show uh, all over again, uh, seven days a week, you know, literally, you know, over 75, 80, 85 hours a week. And it just kept ramping up. Uh, every month was just getting worse and worse. And I just never thought that it was going to end. Uh, and then I, you know, took off two months to pass the CPA exam. So I, I was able to take off, take a sabbatical off of work uh, all of April and May. And, you know, the second I got on that sabbatical, I just went ballistic with the networking. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, and I asked this, you know, I kind of laugh because a lot of times when people ask me about my program, they're like, well, like, am I going to have time to do this? Cause you know, I'm in school right now and I'm really busy and I'm just like, dude, I mean, shit, if Brandon could do it, I'm <laughs> working 85 hours a week. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to hear any excuse from anyone that they can't do this. Like if anything, I would say that's even more reason to get help from someone like me because the way I think about it is always like, you know, and, and you, you can, you can, uh, you can attest to this, which is like our approach is not, Hey, let's overwhelm you with a bunch of stuff. And just, just so, you know, you feel like you're getting a lot of value because we're giving you so much stuff to memorize or so much work to do. Like our approach is the opposite, right? We want to just do the absolute minimum, and it was like, we're only going to do the things that you have to do to get the job and nothing more. Right. And, and right. In fact, we're going to help you do those things better. We're going to help you do those things faster and more efficiently. Right. For sure. And so if anything, you know, doing it with me is supposed to save you time. Not, not, this is not like incremental work on top of what you already would have had to do in the first place. Oh yeah. My friend, uh, you know, who was in the Villanova master of finance program, when I told him that I wanted to break into banking, he sent me, I want to say three or 400 typed out pages of all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, it was just ridiculous. I was like, I was like, what, I'm supposed to memorize all this. <laughs> and this, this, this was before, you know, before I reached out to you and before I, you know, completed all the work, uh, in your program and, you know, all the work in your program, uh, you know, type, I typed out all my notes, highlighted, bolded all the stuff that I needed to, um, you know, it was probably 20% of, you know, what he had given me, but it was two or three or four times more valuable because it, everything was, it was easy to understand. It was laid out in the correct order of how you're supposed to memorize it, uh, and understand it because you need to understand one thing before you can understand another thing. Uh, and that's just the way, that's just the way that it goes, uh, you know, to be able to understand the intermediate and the advanced stuff, you need to understand the basics. So, you know, the program is laid out in a way that it sets you up to be successful that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I was, the, the analogy I use is like, it's like a recipe, right? Like you're trying to bake something, you can have all the right ingredients, but if you don't put in the ingredients in the right order and the right sequence, um, you're not going to, you're not going to have a cake that comes out, you know, looking very good. Right? No. Very good. And so the order matters and having someone just lay out everything for you, the step-by-step, -step, like all you got to do is be good at following instructions um, and executing that. Like that's, I'm not saying it makes it easy. Like getting into banking is never going to be easy, but it makes it simple. Right. And at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for is for someone to simplify all this for you so that you're not, overwhelmed by all this conflicting information out there and you don't know like what's good information and what's garbage information right yep um cool man so if if you could say i mean if those are like the three three biggest things that you know we helped you with in this program like at a high level what would you say those those three things are I would say, you know, number one was getting my, my house in order in terms of my, my resume, my cover letter, and my LinkedIn profile, because those three things, uh, you know, really matter when, yeah. you're, set, when you're pushing out your resume. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, number two uh, would be, you know, how to network effectively and how to automate some of those some of those efforts. Because uh, I definitely would never have been able to reach out to 2,500 people in a couple weeks if it wasn't for, you know, the guidance and that you gave and you know some of the software tools and things like that. And you know, number three, uh, you know, having uh, the, uh, the behavioral and the technical information in front of me to study and then having the resource to uh, do mock interviews and test me on what I had been studying for a few months. You know, those would be the three things that ultimately are the reason why I got the offer. Uh, you know, just the studying alone of the materials, uh, it would have been close to enough, but, you know, using uh, you to uh, do the mock interviews, uh, you know, you really drilled down even harder, you know, into the resume and into some of the things that, you know, you said that you did or that I said that I did on my resume. And, uh, you know, those are some of the things that were some of the harder questions in the interview uh, and some of the behavioral questions you really dug into me on in our mock interviews. I mean, that's how that's how I ultimately was able to be successful, because uh, those those questions certainly came up in the interview and you know I wouldn't have been prepared with the right answer if we didn't do those mock interviews together yep yep got it okay cool man yeah I mean those are pretty much like the main pillars of the program right it's like your application materials they got to be on point your networking skills got to be top-notch and then your interviewing skills both on the behavior on the technical side uh, they got to be flawless, right? So those are pretty much the four pillars, right? And so yeah. I'm glad to hear that those are the exact things that you got out of it because uh, that 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 should be that should be uh, uh, how how it, how it works when people go through our program. So um, so okay, so then you went on sabbatical, um, and then that's when you really seriously started seriously recruiting, right? Um, yep. So how long did it take for you to start landing interviews? I I landed an interview within two weeks, yep. and uh, I landed an offer within four weeks, and yep. then uh, another offer within five weeks. So, you know, I got I received the two offers a week apart, uh, yep. and it was uh, yeah, it really didn't take that long uh, when you're putting out those types of numbers. And, and, uh, and honestly, you had you had a, even another super day. So you had three three super days, right? You got two offers, and the third one is TBD, but they're being too slow, and yep. so so you're deciding to go with this other offer. But essentially, you're at a minimum two for three, if not three for three, essentially. Yeah, yeah essentially. Uh, you know, out of my office interviews, I got both. I got both the offers, and the third one is TBD because they they're they just keep interviewing people, uh, and they just they I guess had so many people lined up to do interviews with and they're a small bank. So they don't want to make a decision on who to hire until they finish all the interviews and yeah, they're, just yeah, taking, they're just taking offer, too long. Right? Yeah. Yep. And yeah. I have an explo I had an exploding offer and uh, this offer was local, so I wouldn't have to move. So I just decided to go with this one. Yep. But it's good to have options, so that's uh, that's awesome um, that you, that you got multiple offers and multiple interviews. Such a short amount of time too. Once you actually, you know, got past busy season and really had time to start 
proactively recruiting. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and you know, like we already talked about earlier, um, you're basically probably going to be working similar hours in your new job, but you're going to be making twice as much money now, right? We're close yep. Okay. So and how said the, this particular bank said really the, the weekend work is actually very minimal. So, you know, longer hours during the week, but they don't like to really work on the weekends unless it's absolutely necessary. So this isn't uh, as much like a, you know, one of your leading middle markets or your bulge brackets where you probably will work your, your six or seven days a week, but this will be longer hours during the week and, uh, you know, sometimes on, on the weekends. That's actually even better. And uh, I think I remember you telling me like your manager back in audit was only making like 95k or something right and and how, how many more years had he been working than you uh, he'd been working five more years than me and now i'm making more than him <laughs> <laughs> yeah man so this is that that's how you accelerate your tr career trajectory to be honest um yep. so that's, that's freaking phenomenal and uh i'm super happy for you what are you what are you gonna do with all that extra money man uh save it and invest it and uh retire a rich man <laughs> all right you're, you're responsible I, I thought you were gonna say you're gonna go buy some nice car or something like that <laughs> oh well I, I did just buy a new car but uh oh, that okay. was that was with previous money saved i my other car was dying uh so i did buy myself a, a 535 bmw Ooh. i guess that was my i guess that was my present to myself uh got a used 2016 535 that was that was my present to myself for getting the job. You, you deserve it, man. You're you're a banker now. You gotta look the part, right? So absolutely. You can't be driving a freaking beater to your client meetings. So of course uh, not, especially working for a car dealership investment <laughs> bank. I gotta gotta show up in a nice car. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. You should ask them to reimburse that for you. It's just a work expense. <laughs> I'm gonna see what I can do. See if I can negotiate that. Awesome, man. Um, any last minute advice for everyone that's listening to this interview? Yeah, I mean, just don't hesitate to make the call. Uh, you know, whether you ha you think you have time or you don't, uh, you do have time. Uh, and it might take three to six months to, to see results, depending on, you know, how busy you are. If you're as busy as me, it could take six months like it did. But, you know, if you can buckle down and get into it right away, you can make it happen in just one or two months. Uh, because from the time I really uh, got going and, you know, put my best foot forward once I had the free time, uh, it, it only did take four to five weeks to, to land offers. So you just got to make the, make the decision and, you know, make it happen. Awesome, man. Well, look, guys, um, I think what we can all learn from Brandon is that, you know, not all of us take the conventional path towards getting to investment banking sometimes, right? Um, at the end of the day, you know, the unfortunate truth is that the vast majority of you will not be able to break in straight out of undergrad, right? Like that, that's just, I'm not trying to be negative. Like that's just what the facts are statistically, right? And, you know, maybe you had a lower GPA like Brandon did, or maybe you found out about banking too late in the game, which is very common with how accelerated recruiting happens nowadays. Um, or maybe, you know, you didn't go to a target school uh, and, and that may not be because, you're not a hard worker you're not a good student a lot of people you know go to non-target schools for financial reasons right but whatever it may be you know and, and and maybe you don't know how to network because nobody's ever taught you how to network 
and you never had to do this before. So, so maybe it's a combination of all of the above, right? But um, regardless of what the reason is, um, there's no no need to let that stop you from from pursuing your your dream job. If if this is your dream job, right? It's a lot of work. It's not worth pursuing if it's not your dream job. But if it is your dream job, um, and uh, you have these obstacles that are in your way, and maybe you don't want to go back for an MBA because you know you can't afford to spend another two hundred thousand dollars on school, or maybe because it takes too long. Um, there are other ways to get your foot in the door, right? And Brandon is living proof of that. And uh, the key is, you know, if you're committed enough and you're truly willing to do whatever it takes and, you know, you have the uh, perseverance to, you know, keep going despite all the challenges and setbacks along the way, and, and you can, then you can absolutely succeed, right? Um, now, you know, just having that commitment and that perseverance, I would say that alone is not enough right? Like you got to have the know-how, right? And, and you can't afford to trial and error and take your sweet time figuring it out. And like as a non-traditional candidate who's not in school, um, the longer you take, the harder it becomes for you to break into banking, right? Like Brandon did it within his first year out of school. And so uh, that, that definitely helped, right? But if you waited too long, it could, could have been a very different outcome, right? And, and so really, you know, what you got to do is optimize for speed and efficiency, right? And the way to do that Honestly, it is to get the expert help that you need, right? And, and so that you're, you're not figuring things out on your own as you go and, you know, risking just making a bunch of mistakes along the way. And, you know, after all, like this could really be your last shot at ever breaking into banking, you know? So um, if you feel like, hey, what I just said, you know, is describing you right now and you feel like the odds are stacked against you, but you know, you're not ready to give up, reach out to me right? and, and it's, let's see if I can help you. You know, I, like I said, I can't help everybody, but, um, you know, you can book a strategy session with me. Tell me about the challenges you're having. Tell me about your situation, your circumstances, and I'll let you know. I'll, I'm very honest. I'll let you know if I can help you or not. And worst case scenario, you know, if I can't help you, um, I won't pretend like I can. Right. And uh, but I'll still give you my best advice and tell you what I would do if I were in your situation. And that's worst case scenario. Right. But if I can help you. Um, then let's definitely get you the help that you need, right? So that you can change the trajectory of your career so that you're not stuck going down a career path that you're not excited about for the next 20, 30, 40 years and, and just being completely miserable, okay? So um, if you want to book a call, what you can do is, you know, you can go go to wallstreetmastermind.com backslash apply. Um, but the street and the URL is not spelled out. It's abbreviated to ST. So it's wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And, uh, I look forward to speaking with you soon. Okay. Um, Brandon, thanks a lot for doing this interview today. Both, uh, oh, absolutely. The listeners are really appreciate your time. I know we probably went way over, but it was such a good, enjoyable conversation that uh, I didn't want to stop, but, uh, best of luck at your new job. And, uh, I'm excited to see your growth professionally going forward and, uh, you know, keep me posted on how everything goes. Oh, absolutely. I will, uh, I will definitely stay in contact and you will, uh, you'll definitely hear about uh, how everything's going over the next couple months and how things start to evolve, uh, you know, over the next year. All right, man. Sounds good. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for taking your time today. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Later. All right, guys, that'll be it for today. And, uh, thank you guys for tuning in and, uh, you know, we'll be back with more of these, um, uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.